all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Hey, welcome to Cars and Comrades, your leftist car podcast, or I should say our leftist car podcast. We're, you know, all about sharing here. And, the car uh, comrade, the car co- podcast of the people. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, my name is Bryant. The voice you just heard is Brandon. We also got Connor and Zach here. How are you all doing today? Doing well. Doing good. I'm good. Cool. And uh, just off the bat, a uh, quick announcement. We might have a brief hiatus. This episode will come out sometime in January, and then we're recording this in December, and we're going to take a, a little break for Christmas and New Year's and then start back up with some 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 stuff. We're not going to commit to anything. Yeah, yeah. Something will come I'm out committed. on our feed. We'll probably have some <laughs> bonus episodes where we were, or some of us, Brandon, at least we're on other podcasts and uh, yeah, that, that'll be coming out. Um, yeah. Shout uh, out to intervention who had me on last night and really looking forward to getting that episode out. Yeah. In fact, this episode will probably come out after that one. So I don't know why. Yeah, I Brandon, actually, <laughs> you should, you should plug that a little bit. What, what was that episode you were on about? Oh, uh, we talked about the, uh, the great rail strike of 1877, but uh, focused pretty heavily on, what it looked like in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It is a lot wilder than I expected going into the research. It was uh, basically an insurrection that had to be put down by federal troops. God damn. Yeah, yeah. The, learning about some of the history that uh, we didn't learn in school, uh, I have discovered it's way more wild than I ever yeah. would have thought. Yeah, I won't, I won't get into it too, too much, but like, I never really read history from the 1800s. And I just learned so much, uh, both in terms of like leftism and U.S. history, and just just wild shit. I, I know I said this a few months ago, but uh, uh, read the book Hammer and Ho. It's it's really interesting. It's all about uh, like black communist sharecroppers in the 1930s. Yeah, that one's really good. I love that book. Yeah. But uh, yeah, unless we have any other news updates. Um, Oh, uh, we were talking, you know, before recording about the possibility of doing a, uh, a Patreon, but uh, we're not fully convinced that that's a good idea. So I guess listeners write in and tell us if you want to give us money, uh, we might just like donate to donate to like a bail fund or something like that. Uh, so I don't know if, if you think that's a good idea or if you just want to give your money directly to a bail fund and cut out the middleman and uh i don't know yeah, my, my idea was if you want to give money to us just give it to a bail fund or something and then somebody pointed out that it could be beneficial if you gave money to us and then we gave all of that money to a specific cause so instead of maybe a few places getting two or three bucks here and there one place might get like 50 or 100 yeah but so yeah let us know what you so think it's on it's in the realm of possibilities we're thinking about doing it we've People have asked, 
But, you know, if that's something you'd be interested in, I, I guess, I don't know, shoot us an email or a message or something. Yeah. We're considering and, it. And maybe if we're feeling ambitious, we'll actually do some, like, Patreon rewards and, like, do merch or stickers or something. But that's that's asking a lot. I don't know. If, if you we'll... if you give us enough money on Patreon, I will personally come visit you and blow up your engine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite an honor, actually. You, you could, you could, that, that would be a story you could tell for a lifetime. That seems like it's worth quite a bit. Yeah. I think it's just a way to lose listeners. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what that says about the psychology of someone paying for that, but um, <laughs> you I mean, give look, me $5 and I will destroy your transportation. <laughs> well, look, I can tell you, I have spent a lot of money to have a piece of shit car that hardly works. So don't knock it till you try it, which I'm pretty sure everyone on this podcast has tried it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm actively trying to blow up my engine right now. So, yeah. I just realized I have a salvageable small block like block that could be remachined, and so now I'm thinking about uh, building myself a new motor and just seeing what it takes to blow up the one that I have in my van now. Now you're just asking for it. that's that's gratuitous. Yeah, I said that out loud about uh, an extra motor that I have, and now there's a check engine light on on my oh. daily. So, uh, careful what you oh, know. <laughs> well, on that okay. note, I suppose we should probably get into our various updates. I'm sure there'll yeah. be there'll be plenty of problems to be raised. So, so Brandon, let's start with you, I guess. Mostly good news. Whoa! Um, I think I I think I might have actually told a, a couple of you off air. I, I don't really remember. Um, but uh, what last we recorded, I had blown a head gasket in my van. Well, yeah. I went. I I finally started taking everything apart. And honest, honest to God, I I wouldn't have even cared in like a a little bit really about blowing a head gasket if not for the fact that like. I drive an old van, so the engine is under the dash. So just getting yeah. to everything is kind of a nightmare. Either way, like I, I pulled everything apart, but once once I went got to pulling off the intake, I realized that. Uh, so I run a different style of intake than a standard small block Chevy because I have Vortec heads. Mm-hmm. I have it's so it's eight bolts instead of ten, and of those eight bolts, I would say that. Six of them were barely hand tight. Huh. Uh, one of them barely took a wrench to break free. And one of them was maybe torqued to two or three pound feet. <laughs> okay. So what you're saying is that's below the torque spec? Well, I mean, we will get to that. You and I talked about it. But it, like <laughs> these, these intakes, it turns out that they have really low torque numbers. Like... Fully huh. torqued down is 11 pound feet. Huh. Now, I'm not an expert, but I do believe 11 is higher than three. Correct? <laughs> <laughs> so these were not quite up to spec, at least. Um, well, e- either way, I was, I was like, I don't know, man. It seems kind of wrong that this, like, because I, I cannot emphasize enough that with, I was using a, a quarter inch ratchet just because it was small enough to get into some of the areas really conveniently and easily. And six of them, it didn't actually take effort to break the bolt free. It just started spinning. Jesus. Mm. Uh, Never a good sign. So I was like, that's, to me, it's a great sign. Because to me, that says that the, the, um, 
the milkshake in my oil pan is from a leaking intake, not from a blown head gasket. So and yeah, I don't know a whole lot about small blocks, but like there's an oil passage and a coolant passage that goes next to the intake on the intake uh, manifold. Well, the I don't know like the act like the in-depth routing, but yeah, um, coolant runs from the head through the intake into the other head. Okay. Uh, so like different, like, uh, mine is weird. Like it's got the rear ones, uh, blocked off, but yeah, up, up front, it, there is a coolant passageway and there is evidence that it had been probably leaking through that gasket for a while. Cause there was some corrosion and I was like, so immediately sure that I had blown a head gasket because that's what milkshake in the oil pan universally means. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that I really didn't do a lot of diagnostics. So once I, I did that, I started doing some mild diagnostics and found that there was no coolant in any of my cylinders. Hmm. Okay. Good. And this is all, this is foreign to me. I have a Subaru, so I never have head gasket issues at all. <laughs> 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 I'm assuming from your tone that that's not true. Oh, they're notorious for blowing head gaskets. It's what they do best. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was great, man. Like every diagnostic thing that I could think of or every subtle little clue pointed to it leaking from the intake gasket. And so I'm not fucking with the heads at all. I just regasketed the intake and I got it back on the day before yesterday, got most of it back together. I still have to, um, I did break one of the, the spark plugs are so fucking hard to get to because everything is like inside, like in half inside the van. Yeah. And I have headers, uh, so I had to make a couple of like my own custom wrenches just to like get underneath the headers, but you know, still like get into the little recess that the plugs are tucked into. So it literally took me over an hour to pull eight spark plugs, um, Ooh, yeah. not counting the time of making tools. Having That's a hard so time getting good. spark plugs? I don't know anything about that. I have a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> Zach, have you seen uh, that uh, that one troll post where it's like, oh, you know, um, I know that Subarus have problems with head gaskets, so I just deleted the head gaskets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen one that's like, um, hey, bro, I'm looking at buying your car. Uh, how are the head gaskets? And then the response is, oh, I did the delete mod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, you know, that's a real thing, right? It is, but not on like, you know, 25 year old yeah. Subaru yeah. Outbacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could do like the, what are they, like the fire lock rings or whatever. Oh, oh no. I don't even mean that. Um, you can lap the uh, block and the heads so that it is effectively so polished that it makes a perfect seal without a gasket. Yeah. I did that on my, uh, on my moped, but that's a two stroke engine. There's no coolant going through the head or anything. So. I don't know how well that would work on a four-stroke engine. Um, I mean, like, it, it can work, like, race well. Like, well, I mean, you work in a machine shop. Have you ever, you, you know what ringing uh, gauge blocks is, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, like, it's, a it's aluminum head and an iron block, and well, it's, uh, like, this three was, feet long or whatever. This was an old-school trick, so it was probably mostly iron to iron. But, yeah, if it's lapped well enough, it will stick together. Yeah. Okay. That makes I'm mostly sense. being argumentative. It's not like a practical thing. <laughs> yeah. But it is. Really mean no one does this from the factory. It's an <laughs> interesting <laughs> thing. 
I, I think it's fascinating that people made that work for a, it's, but it is race only. Like it is not meant to withstand like a hunt, like a thousand miles on the road. It's meant to like, I don't know, a couple of hundred lap. Cause another weird thing it does is it will also fuse the head to the block. Yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> like it's, it's something that like you only do if you're pulling the head back off later that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it, it was like uh, good news, you know. I, I got everything back together, and I saw from my spark plugs that my carburetor is just not tuned correctly, uh, which is strange because I literally took my old carburetor, I took everything that should be like part of the tuning, like all the jets, any of the like uh, blocks on the carburetor, anything, and just transferred them over to a new body. So I can only think of, of two slight things that would have uh, messed up the tuning. So I'm going to tweak those. But uh, realistically, if I hadn't been like busy writing for uh, the other show I was on, I, I pr- probably would have had the van running today. So, yeah, that's, that's good news. And uh, I'm feeling motivated lately, like manically motivated. Uh so a friend of mine just got his El Camino back from the shop and it's got a pretty gnarly uh, 350 in it. So he's feeling real confident about it, which is silly because like a gnarly 350 is, is still like, like, I don't think he's got like a 500 horsepower small block. I think he's probably got like 350 to 400 horsepower. I mean, that's, that's fun. Decent. That's still fun. Yeah. I, I'd take that. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, just just bear with me. Uh, now he's he really wants to like go out and and cruise and have us both have our cars together. So I've decided that after the van is done, I'm pulling my car back into the shop and I'm finally going to do the drivetrain swap and put my big block in the Cutlass. Nice. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm not going to say 350 to 400 horsepower is is not a lot, but I have 105 cubic inches on him, a hot cam. <laughs> <laughs> And so it really doesn't matter because, like, even if he has more power than me, he's going to have to catch up with me after that first 500 feet where I'm, like, (laughs) actually, like, making my power. Yeah. I mean, he's got to have something in the rear end of that El Camino to help him hook up, too. Otherwise, he's just going to spend. Oh, God. Yeah, no. Yeah. And eggs in there or something. Yeah, right. And my my cutlass has a posi kind of pseudo twelve bolt. It has an old rear end, which was neither a ten bolt nor a twelve bolt. They were very strong, but there are no parts available for them, so you're better better off not killing them. This was but back was, in the day when every division of GM like made their own parts and everything. Uh, yes and no. There was a lot of interchangeability. Okay, but it wasn't like a hundred percent. Like they were still making their own motors. Uh, but at a certain point, they uh, shortly after my Cutlass, they started using mostly the same transmissions. And a few years after my Cutlass, that I think that they were all pretty much running the same rear ends. Yeah, engines, engines. They kept doing their own thing through the seventies, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I uh, so I, I've I've started like putting together the lists to get my fucking Cutlass hopped up with a big block and. I like started pricing out intakes and one of the reasons I like small block Chevy shit so much is because it's so popular that parts are cheap and easy to find and old yeah, stuff like is not 150 bucks. will get you a fucking wild ass intake. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find any intake on Summit for my big block for under $500 that seemed worth running. Um, Especially because I want to run a specific type of carburetor, which is the less popular style of carburetor. Uh, So I just said, fuck it. And I hopped on Marketplace because even though I refuse to, like, get a Facebook account, I still just cruise Marketplace and then make my friends message people for me. <laughs> like most most boomer thing I do, hands down. Um, actually, no, I guess boomers are all on Facebook. So I was going to say, yeah, you would have a Facebook if you were a boomer. Fair enough. Yeah, I found an old intake for 250 bucks. I'm picking it up this week. Nice. And that was the last like piece of the puzzle that I was like really like I didn't want to put the iron intake back on. Because the intakes on Olds motors are huge, and that thing probably weighs eighty pounds. Jesus! Um, wow. Jesus. I'm Just probably exaggerating. Yeah. Is it iron? Oh yeah. It's <laughs> it's a lot of iron, and it's wide. Okay. Um, I mean, I would I was I like without having it here to like kind of try and pick it up and be like, well, you know, maybe it's whatever. It's not less than fifty pounds. You know, I'm almost surprised that Detroit never, like, made any engine parts out of, like, lead. Because they just about did. <laughs> um, I mean, cast iron had its, you know, its, its redeeming factors. Like, it dissipated heat fairly well. and Yeah, thermal was hard to kill. all that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, basically, the gist is I'm really excited to put the big block in my car. And, like, I've spent so much money like piecemeal like over the last like year and a half that i think to do do the swap is is probably going to cost me like i'm gonna have to have a new drive shaft made or shorten mine i don't remember if the new transmission is longer or shorter but i'm like probably like three or four hundred dollars away from having all the parts i need to swap everything out and have it look nice and just be sick nice and oh yeah that's awesome and then yeah, dude, I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited. For as much as I love big blocks, this will be the first big block car I've owned. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Surprising. Which, I mean, like, you, you guys like Japanese stuff, so basically everything I like is a big block to you guys. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I, I was thinking, like, you know that game, Never Have I Ever? Uh, I've never owned a car with an engine bigger than two liters. So. Wait, really? Yeah. Wow. Get out. That's actually impressive. Let's see. Go I don't. I, what is uh, four fifty five? I think is what seven liters. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Close. Yeah, maybe more. I mean, that's just until I can get the stroker kit. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the biggest motor I've ever had is a small block Chevy. Yeah. So I feel like that's that's, that's reasonable though. Like. By modern standards, like a small block Chevy, like what three fifty? That's yeah. still pretty big. That's a five seven. Yeah, that's that's yeah. huge in you know a lot of cars. Yeah, I'm sure anyone that's listening in Europe is like, oh, Sakurai Blue, that's a huge engine. Sakurai <laughs> <laughs> <Well, laughs> Blue. <laughs> that's what they say, right? In all of Europe. <laughs> Just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know how British people talk. Sakurai Blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dude, the, the funniest shit is that, like, if you're used to driving like fucking six and seven liter American engines, and then like you hop in and drive your buddy Subaru, you're like, why does this accelerate better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
So, so I will fully admit that it, for me, it's cool factor. Like I know that I am not doing the practical thing. Right. <laughs> Fuck it. But yeah, that, that that's me. Uh, the van should be fine in a few days. Whenever I get a chance to like bolt a couple of more things back together, and I started I started doing some other like body work and basic like n- overdue sort of things to it, just because it's already in my shop and so it's the easiest to work on. But once that stuff's hammered out, I'm gonna start working on the car, and that'll probably be my update for a few episodes straight because I don't expect that going smoothly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's pleasantly surprising to hear you so positive about everything like well you know i'm just a cheerful kind of guy yeah <laughs> oh yeah for sure <laughs> uh this this podcast is full of optim- optimism every single episode uh so that takes us to bryant what are you worked on so i think a few episodes ago i had talked about how um cobb had updated the software on their um our access port uh, computers and it's something to do with like uh, flex fuel and um, emissions and stuff. And so I was like, Oh shit, is this going to affect my uh, access port? Should I run this software update? And I emailed the tuner and he's like, no, it's fine. Um, I've been working with this software update. It's, it's not affecting anything that, that I'm doing. Um, you know, unless you're doing uh crazy flex fuel builds or whatever it's not a big deal so i'm like all right cool and you know got the access port back on my car and got everything working and and i hadn't been like going really hard uh you know full throttle before then just to just to be sure and so i did you know actually hit full boost uh recently when it was like 20 degrees fahrenheit out and um it's set up right now to to limit the boost to 17 pounds, but it'll sometimes overshoot to like 17.6 or so. But uh, I noticed like when it was hitting peak boost, it felt almost like the clutch was slipping a couple times. Yeah. Or, or possibly like it was breaking traction with the wheels or possibly like, you know, it was there was like detonation. The engine was like pulling timing or pulling boost or something. So like there was a little loss of power just like for a split second there. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, I did a little data logging, um, you know, the day after that and everything looked smooth and fine. There was no like little hiccup or anything. So I'll just have to keep an eye on that. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on, but it's running great. Like, I, I'm not, I haven't had it dyno tested or anything, but it maybe makes like 250 horsepower somewhere around there. And that's plenty for me. Like, you know, I don't really need any more than that. It'll, you know, scoot around traffic just fine and go way faster than I need it to. But the other thing I was up to yesterday is um, uh, my friend James Gilboy, who writes for The Drive, uh, he's an auto journalist. He got a... Um, Audi RS3 as a loner car. Ooh, yeah, but that was fun. And, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you wanna you wanna come up with me into the mountains, and we'll I, I need to shoot some pictures and drive it and stuff." And I'm like, "Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> I will." <laughs> um, so uh, we picked up uh, Rafi, who's also been on the show a couple times, or maybe just once, anyways, um, and uh, went up uh, sort of on the road to Mount Evans kind of 
around um, Idaho Springs and in kind of the twisty mountain roads and stuff. And it was pretty fun. Like I was just, you know, in the passenger seat, so I wasn't driving or anything. But it's um, it's a 2.5 liter five cylinder with a turbo and all wheel drive. It makes around 400 horsepower. It's got a seven speed transmission. I forget if it's like a dual clutch or an automatic or what. Yeah, it's uh, a dual clutch transmission in those. Yeah, but it is fucking fast, man. Like 400 horsepower feels like a lot. Uh, to That's me, I'd say 400 in a small box like doesn't <laughs> feel that much. <laughs> yeah, uh, like it'll it'll pin you back in your seat for a while. Like uh, I won't say what what speeds we hit, but um, oh, uh, don't it, you don't bullshit. No, <laughs> no, you have to say it. Uh, it was at least twice the limit. Uh, I'll say that. Um, oh, I now the driving, feds are gonna so. now the feds are gonna come after us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think yeah. I think you might have just misspoke earlier when you said you were on the road to Mount Evans. You mean you were in Mexico? That's right. Yeah, we were wow. around Guadalajara. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I forget the name of the mountain around there. I get it confused sometimes. <laughs> so you guys wait. So you guys went. Uh, you went up to Mount Evans, right? We didn't go all the way up to Mount Evans because um, the pass is closed for the winter. Oh yeah. Yeah, but we went up into the national park around um, Idaho Springs. Fun. So we were at I, elevation, you know. I did. I did that drive up Mount Evans in a Sprinter van. Actually, I don't know if I <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was very sketchy. Yeah, I how many imagine. horsepower was the Sprinter van? What? How many horsepower was the Sprinter van? Very few. Close to four hundred? No. <laughs> I'm guessing around a hundred at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, and it's very tall. Um, so when that wind hits you, oof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that does sound sketchy. Um, I I did see a, a sprinter dra- sprinter van driving around in there, and uh, you know we stopped on the side of the road because someone. I'll, I'll see if I can post some pictures of this. Someone had three Saab Sonnets, uh, the second gens. Uh, sitting around their house and then a really clean Passat W8 and then across the street from that was like a Camaro a Firebird and an E30 BMW like there was like a little mini car collection like just in this little podunk area of the mountains it was pretty cool (laughs) someone is living their best life up there yeah that sounds awesome Um, that's pretty sweet (laughs) But uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's about it. I would not buy this uh, Audi. It's like sixty thousand bucks, and it's an Audi. So it, as Zach can tell us, it's probably hard to maintain. Um, but it was fun. I still yeah. want one sometimes. Every once in a while, yeah. I'm just like, man, like an S4 or something. Oh, they seem so cool. <laughs> Every single Audi on earth fucking sucks, other than mine. Mine's awesome. You should definitely buy it. but that's all i've got um all right well then i guess it's uh i guess it's me then i haven't done too much work on the car um i think i was saying i was gonna go drifting the last episode i was on and then i ended up not doing that um because it was cold and i was having a problem with the driver's door getting locked and staying locked and being unable to be opened 
and fortunately that also when that happens it it locks my hatch so i can't and i was like uh you know if something happens where you know if i'm out at the track and i bring all my shit out and then the door gets stuck like i'm gonna have a real bad time so i decided not to go but that has been a fun issue to have so i've been you know it started getting more and more frequent like it's done it before but it's been doing it more lately so i've had to like crawl into the car through the passenger seat which is not my favorite thing to do and when i have to like bring all my equipment for work and i have to like climb over all of my equipment in the passenger seat to get into the car i don't love it it's not something that i enjoy so i have had that problem for a little while um i kind of was like unsure how to go about fixing it because i've already changed the door lock actuator um so i was kind of like at a loss just like what the fuck but i did start something that seems to have fixed it a little bit which kind of gives me a clue as to what the problem actually is is i turned the vent in the door so like when the car's heated up i can like blast the heat kind of like right at the inside door handle And when I do that for long enough, it does seem like the lock works pretty consistently. So that leads me to believe that it is the, you know, inside door handle that's actually the problem. So I feel like if I get another one of those, it might solve my issue. So, you know, throwing the heat on it has been a pretty decent solution for a little bit uh, for the last few days. So I think knowing that is is a helpful little tip so that's some good news there um so looking forward to fixing that because that is a real pain in my ass and then i was going to uh today i was supposed to um put the winter wheels on the car and then i just didn't do that um i think this week for work i'm going to uh, my partner has graciously allowed me to use her car She's like, it's really cold. Your car's probably not going to work very well. And I was like, you're right. It probably won't. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to use her car if uh, for any days that I'm out in the field. So that, you know, so kind of just made me a little bit more lazy today. I was like, all right, well, I guess I don't have to do this. But when I change my wheels, um, I do think I'm going to raise or attempt to raise the rear half of the car up a little bit because uh, when I've been driving in the city lately, I have been scraping on speed humps really, really bad. Like, like really in a not cool way at all. Um, so like I've been driving in the city for work for, you know, a year at this point. So I go into the city to work. I've been on the north side. Um, and we recently kind of switched to doing more work on the south side now. And I've started to piece together a little bit of a pattern and I don't want to sound too conspiratorial. Okay. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to ascribe a cause or a motivation here, but I do feel like I've noticed that the um, more affluent communities, the speed bumps there are a little bit more manageable. And in the poorer communities, it seems like those speed humps are real fucking bad. And, like, I can tell the difference because, like, in the, the, like, more affluent areas, I scrape a little tiny bit. And then in the neighborhoods that are, like, have less funding and stuff, um, I scrape real bad. And I'm leaving, like, rust marks on the fucking speed bumps afterwards. 
So actually, it's just cleaning rust off your car. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a nice sanding. Um, no, it's really it. It's very jarring when I like I go as slow as I can over it. And it just hits hard every time, and I'm like, this is not cool anymore. So you actually have to go faster, otherwise you're actually going to get stuck on the speed bump. Um, I'm usually not that bad, but yes, there are times where like I hit it and like the bump lifts up the body of the car and the wheels stay where they're at. There is a chance that, you know, I can separate those from the road, but it seems unlikely. It hasn't happened yet. I've, uh, you know, it has come close, but I can't hit it fast because like, that's just, oof, that's too much. So I don't know what that means. I don't know why the, the poorer neighborhoods have worse speed bumps, but a part of me is like, it feels like it's, they don't give a shit and it fucks up people's cars faster. So I don't know. It just, it seems pretty noticeable at this point. Cause like is, it seems to be true uh, on, you know, neighborhoods in the South side and the West side where I'm like, Hey, these speed bumps are way worse than they are in the other areas of the city. So I'm not super pleased with going over them constantly. Um, and uh, it's been really bumming me out hitting my car like that. It's been a lot of wear and tear on the car. So um, I'm kind of scared to crawl under there. Um, and I've hit some bumps that like actually did break off like the mud guards on my car. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so pieces of the car are now falling off. And so this job has cost me several pieces of the car at this point. Um <laughs> so yeah so i've like lost the front lip i'm losing mud guards i'm just like okay i've had i think i've had enough of this i'm gonna try and raise the car up a little bit which the winter wheels should raise it up a little bit too because i think they're a little bit higher profile tires but um i think that's kind of gonna be limited so i'm gonna try and raise it up another quarter inch or half inch in the back and hope that like that makes it like a little bit more tolerable um because i'm like not having a fun time anymore and then, you know, on one of these days where I was having a real rough time um, and I was real bummed out. It's like, I hate my job, which obviously, but like more than usual, um, I am also back on the job market. So I'm very frustrated with that. So like, you know, I'm putting out my resume all over the place and I hate doing that because that feels like a job in and of itself. Yeah. So I'm you very frustrated. Job where you make more money. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, just, just a suggestion, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in out. mind. I, I hadn't considered that yet. So just put on my job helmet and climb into the job <laughs> cannon and <laughs> fire off into job land. Oh, get a job. Yeah. Just get a job. Why don't I strap on my job helmet and squeeze down into a job cannon and fire off into job land where jobs grow on jobbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing that too. Um, so I, I've just been very frustrated with the amount of money that I get paid, the fact that I'm working two jobs and like really just kind of barely getting by. Um, and I'm like very unhappy about the whole situation and my car running like shit all the time, which I'm not even going to get into the tuning bit of my car, but like that's still an issue. Um, and there's really not any other tuners in the area. So, uh, fun, fun fact, I may have to take a trip to uh, Georgia to get the car tuned properly so that will that may be a story in the future we'll see but uh i'm in a rough spot so i was having a rough if, day if you do that I, be I, in touch with me because maybe i'll go with you okay i will let you know if, what, what happens there but yeah that's a whole fucking thing 
so I've been in a rough spot. I was feeling a little, a little bit down. Um, and I was like in the city, I was having a real day. Um, and I was like, all right, whatever. So I'm like driving and I let off a little bit of steam and I made a turn real quick. Cause obviously like it was, I had to make this turn actually genuinely had to make it fast cause there was a car coming. Um, and I wasn't going to have many chances to turn. So I did. And I spun the tires a little bit, got a slight bit of, you know, angle you know five or ten degrees nothing crazy i wasn't it was a power slide it wasn't like full-on drifting and i was like oh man that felt good uh and then i saw a flash behind me and i realized that one of the fucking city's speed cameras got me and uh, my day got worse so oh (laughs) so i was like damn all right that sucked um now i'm extra depressed (laughs) so it was uh, it was just a rough day with my car, but uh, just if they send you a ticket, like send them the ticket back with uh, like your license and tell them that you are renouncing your U.S. citizenship and that they no longer have the authority <laughs> over you, um, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll preface this by saying this is not like legal advice or whatever, but I've definitely got some of those speed camera tickets in the mail and just ignored that shit and have had zero negative consequences up until this I've point. done that and... too until I got collections calls and then I'm like, son of a bitch. Bro, I ignored that shit too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you just keep ignoring. Like they really can't do anything. My credit hasn't dropped. They haven't like garnished my wages. What the fuck are they going to do? Continue to annoy me? So what? I don't care. I can throw a letter away and block a phone number. Like it doesn't really affect my life. <laughs> to be to be fair, these tickets, I don't think they're that bad. They're usually like $35 or something. They're very reasonable. They're a bargain actually. So <laughs> Um, I, I was, don't exactly. pay it out of principle. Don't pay it out of principle. That, Fuck them. <laughs> I am not that principled. I can tell you right now. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what Zach's giving you is not legal advice. Uh, what I'm giving you is illegal advice, which is just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I often think about how would be great. I, I think that's a good thing. That's praxis, but that's a whole other conversation. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Also, not legal advice. All of the with a couple. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my vote's. You just it's less uh, barrier of entry. You know, it's pretty easy. You just kind of get it close, and and I mean that does have the fun factor, doesn't it? Which really in the middle of the city is is fun factor, no matter which way you approach it. Uh, you know, that reminds me, I, along my commute, there's a billboard for one of those Shen Yun, uh, dance things or whatever. Me too. Oh yeah. Fuck. Oh, God. Fuck. I, I just feel angry whenever I pass that thing. <laughs> Same here. Uh, uh, you know that their origin, like they're like sponsored by Falun Gong or whatever. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it's just a straight up cutout of Falun Gong, which I, yeah. if you're a listener to the show and you don't, aren't that familiar with Falun Gong, Look them up on Wikipedia and see their logo. Just saying, <laughs> see their logo and that's what they're about. So. Yeah, like, uh, you know, read what they say about, like, uh, LGBTQ issues or, like, interracial marriage or uh, what, what's the newspaper that they own? It's like the Washington Post Epoch or something Times. Like yeah. <laughs> Epoch Times. Yeah. Epoch Times. If you remember yeah. their media blitz a, few, a couple years back where they had it pretty much every ad on YouTube. Yeah, that's Falun I, Gong. The, the Chinese government oppresses them. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that, believe me, that's I have some critiques of uh, 
you know, the Chinese government, that is not I, one of them. <laughs> I pray. Yeah, I have zero that. critiques of the Chinese government. You guys are doing great. Fuck Falun Gong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my conservative uncle sends me um, Epoch Times articles every once in a while. I'm like, you know, they're like funded by a cult, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> they're funded by the occult that sounds cooler <laughs> oh man right did, when did I... you know that this newspaper is run by ghosts <laughs> <laughs> oh if only everyone in Falun Gong were it's the ghosts hey. the, the victims of communism <laughs> oh my god there's 700 trillion ghosts <laughs> uh, now right when I started my job are like lead safety guy sent me a Christmas card that was like a Shin Yun Christmas card and I was like cool so I'm not safe at this job that's (laughs) 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 fucking awesome why would that be a Christmas like what it was the weirdest thing and he misspelled Mary he spelled it like (laughs) the name he hand wrote it and wrote M-A-R-Y Xmas and I was like fuck dude I'm dying on this job for sure (laughs) I'm not going to judge him for that. <laughs> it was just such a weird vibe, you know what I mean? Like, it was like yeah. too many things at once. Like, misspell stuff all you want. I'm not trying to talk shit about that, but like, you combined with everything else, I mean, not that specifically. <laughs> it's just one aspect of a bigger, weirder thing that, like, I was like, oh, okay. I feel like this is almost like, hey, buddy, I have your address, you know? Yeah. Also, I feel like. That's the kind of safety guy that, like, Mike Rowe would like. Yeah. The safety third type of guy. Like, yeah, you know what's really unsafe? Communism. And you're like, oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I mean, every safety meeting he has had so far uh, with us has heavily dealt with working outside in the elements. And we do not do that at all. <laughs> so... Not really sure what the point of him is, but yeah. What is it like? The My Pillow guy sucks. The My Crow guy sucks. Uh, Anybody who owns things, man, Jesus. (laughs) I'm I'm seeing a pattern. It's almost like there's some books about this that people should read. The Crow. (laughs) Crow. Yeah, that was like a comic book, dude. Like, grow up. (laughs) R.I.P. Brandon Lee. Um. Yeah, uh, Connor, was that it? That all you got? Yeah, that's all for me. That's definitely all for me. All right. Uh, I don't have a lot to go over, so this will be pretty quick. I um still parting out my Subaru STI donor car. Um, if you're in the Denver area and you need STI parts, hit us up on some channel. I'll definitely give you the comrade price on anything you need. Uh, just been doing that a lot, dealing with. The shittiness of Facebook Marketplace and... I was about to say, how's Facebook Marketplace treating you? <laughs> God, it's like, oh, it's rough, dude. I wish that people would read. That would make my life easier. I can't tell you how many people have asked to buy the engine or the transmission. Uh, when that's like one of the first things I put in my post, like keeping the engine and transmission. But that's like every other message that I get. So, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> That's basically taken like every spare minute that I have. Real quick, Zach, yeah. I uh, someone I know um, who writes under the name uh, Merle Martin was talking about how he used to live next to like the police auction yard 
in uh, somewhere in California. I forget where he lived exactly. And so he would buy shitty cars and flip them for money. Uh-huh. And so many people would be like, show up to buy the car and like, oh, this shit has a manual transmission. What the fuck? Why didn't you say that? And he's like, it's in the ad right here. And he actually like custom made an animated GIF that's like flashing text manual transmission stick shift and then it shows a person shifting a stick you know like and put that like as the first image on all the the ads hold on hold on so what did this person say these people's faces was like like when you what happens when someone comes up like why didn't you say that and then you show them like what do they how i couldn't i feel like i would die like if that happened, if someone like showed me being that fucking stupid, I would die of embarrassment. Like I, I would just be like, "Oh, I'm done. Please, I'm, I am no longer alive. Please leave me alone." Like the neat like, thing, I the neat no thing about the <laughs> the neat thing about the Venn diagram of people who aren't aware enough to read an ad and people who aren't aware, like self aware enough to give a fuck about being that wrong, is that it's a circle. Yeah. And, yeah. Hey, they're just like, oh, this is your fault. And it's like, no, I wrote it right here. And they're like, it's still your fault. And you can't, like, there's no getting through to them. Yeah. 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 Fun. So, yeah, other than the shittiness of Facebook Marketplace, that's been fine. I've been making a little bit of money off of it here and there. Met some cool people. Some guy just, like, told me to try out his car the other night. That was tight. Um, he was, like, telling me about what he had done to his wrx and he's like oh yeah i've got a like a stage three daily clutch and i was like shit man that sounds like rough to drive every day honestly stage three he's like dude it's the best clutch i've ever driven come check it out and i was like bet and then we ripped around in his car and i pissed off my neighbors i'm sure because i was banging (laughs) gears down the street um but yeah no it's it's been a mixed bag some cool people like that some annoying ass people but Wait, how was that clutch? I feel like you buried the lead there. How was oh, clutch? sorry, sorry. No, it was great. It was fucking awesome. It was a million times better than the OEM replacement that I have in my car right now. Oh. Like, Damn. All right, so is that like on the list of mods for you now? Is like getting that stage three clutch? No, I think honestly, like my power goals are beyond its capability. So unfortunately, what I'm probably going to... What the hell are your power gonna... goals? Hold on, what? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm going to run the stock... SDI clutch that came with the transmission until I fully build the motor that came out of that car. And I want to go over 600 horsepower with this motor down the, down the road, like I'd slowly just, you know, send out the case halves, get them closed deck. And then, you know, invest in some forged internals, then invest in some cams, invest in some machine work to make it all work then invest in a big turbo and i've got most of the supporting mods ready to go other than maybe like some step up and fueling and then yeah i i would like to see 600 so you don't think that clutch can handle 600 no probably not especially not with the torque that that would that would accompany that i think uh i think i'm gonna have to go to twin disc to to make it manageable and not basically like dump the clutch on every start and like actually be able to street drive it. That's more reasonable than you think it is. Uh, you know, I've driven a pretty rough fucking like, you know, six puck and whatever, and it's doable. It's, it's, yeah. you get used to it. It's, you get by. Yeah. I think this. just, I think honestly, just with the, the, the amount of power that I'll have, I don't want to push like a six puck to its limit. And like the price difference is not that bad. Like I can get like a full twin disc with a flywheel 
like a full setup for like 1500 to 1800 bucks somewhere in there ah, so much money though that's it's a lot but like so much, but like a six puck is like 800 bucks 900 like oh is it yeah and that's no flywheel yeah you know? uh, yeah i guess you're right that's that's true and yeah at that point i'd rather just like wait and save up money and have a clutch that doesn't feel fucking awful to drive but can handle the power it's like yeah you go to one of those like six plus six buck clutches and yeah you'll get used to it for sure but like i don't want it <laughs> i want it to be easy to drive and handle the power that's so fair. yeah that's obviously down the road quite a bit but yeah that's the ultimate goal is is big power i would love to see 666 at the wheels but we'll see yeah we'll see if we get there i just think that would be real neat i i keep telling you ought to do a six cylinder and then add another six to that you know yeah yeah i just well, yeah, don't four sixes isn't cool yeah <laughs> you need three sixes no I, I just don't um i don't know if i'm really ready for that i think i can do this on like a stock ecu and yeah stuff. no i like maintain I, a pretty drivable car i have lots of bad ideas <laughs> I, I yeah. have lots of bad ideas, so don't listen to me. Although now the Mighty Car Mods boys are doing a yep. six-cylinder. I've been watching Smedia's six-cylinder build. Like, yep. It's getting more and more common, at least slightly. It, it's looking cool. But no, nah, I think I want to keep it EJ for now. Well, yeah, at least for the time. Not to, not, to, not to extend the car update section too long, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of Mighty Car Mods, have you guys seen the um, Donut Media guys working with some Subarus on their new yep. high-low series? Uh, not making the Subarus look great. Yeah. <laughs> How uh, long do we want to extend this? Because, like, I can get going, but we're going to be here for a minute. Otherwise, uh, I mean, we should I'm, probably I'm move on. I'm just throwing shade. But uh, also, <laughs> I have heard from some people... Maybe they've made a few mistakes. They've they've encouraged some of the engines. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think they've made one or two right decisions. And every fucking other decision <laughs> they've made has been the worst possible one. <laughs> and I love Donut Media. I think I've I mean, probably, probably for the last five years, seen every single video that they've released. Wow. Like within a day or a week of them releasing it. Like I love their content. I think it's great. It's super fun. They actually seem like cool people in the car scene, yeah, kind of actually, along the lines of like what we're trying to do here, not being fucking shitty exclusionary, yeah, reactionary they're not super, assholes. They're not super reactionary. That's that. That's actually they're actually pretty decent. Well, they're not communists, but like they're yeah, no, they're as close as you could expect in the car scene. Hey, not everyone can be right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, most people don't have to be right. So. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I don't. I don't want to just talk shit directly about them. But I think Subarus are a more unique platform than people give them credit for, and they don't. They treat it like other cars, and it can't. It just can't function that way. So I, I won't get into it too much. And yeah, and get this going as, as someone totally lost on, on whatever is going on right now. In what way do you mean that the Subaru is a more unique platform? The just the fact that it's a flat boxer engine. And people okay. think that's like, you know, more similar to a V or an inline than like, say, a rotary. But I say I think it's on the same level of uniqueness, to be completely honest. I think um, you have to take okay. the same amount of care and concern with how you do things as something like a rotary engine. Obviously, it's still a piston engine, 
So there are still similarities, but I think that's where people kind of lose the, you know, the reality of how special it, it needs to be treated. Like not yeah. that it's, you know, the best in the world or anything, but it's just not like other cars in so, so many ways. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're rebuilding the engine, like it's, you need some specialized stuff to like torque everything down so that the engine doesn't like flex in the wrong way or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure if they were doing that. And also like the whole idea of making a Subaru into a time attack car seems like a bad idea to me because boxer engines are terrible if you're doing like uh, high G corners a lot because all the oil will slosh onto one side of the engine and you can get... I, yeah, I'm actually surprised they didn't address the oil starvation issue like as one of the first mods. Yeah, like, yeah that's, that's, I think, that would be important. I think that that's not... That, they're not bad at, at handling lateral Gs. They need very specific care to handle lateral Gs. Right. <laughs> but yeah. they're, you know, they're perfectly capable of it. There are some great time attack Subarus out there. And I can't, I don't want to like go off too much, but like there are some very simple things. I think if you're interested in it, Flatirons Tuning has at least two podcasts of their, or episodes of their podcast, excuse me, that uh, address it pretty in depth, what they did do, what they didn't do and what they should have done. And basically you can run close to, if not over two G's of lateral load on a stock pickup, stock oil pan Subaru. If you know what you're doing and you use a $20 mod to extend or to, to anti-surge protect the, the oil pickup basically. Okay. Like, they, they don't take all that much. It's just, you know, the pickups don't, go all the way to the bottom of the pan. That's a known issue with EJ motors. There's a pretty decent gap between the pickup at the bottom of the pan. And when you're under lateral G's on a stock pan, you need to get that pickup closer or yeah. keep it from surging and uh, cavitating the pump, which they didn't do. And they, they made a lot of other bad decisions, but that's, you know, one very simple thing that they could have done that they didn't do. Also, I don't think that they replaced some things that absolutely have to be replaced when they got metal in the engine. I yeah. think that there was metal still in those engines because they didn't replace things. And there Whoa, some... I, haven't, I haven't watched any of this series. How bad did they fuck everything up? Three fucking motors in one car. Oh my god. Low car? In his uh, no, high car, high actually. Car. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, in, in as many episodes, or, or fewer. I think they went through, like, two in one episode. One time they wrecked the car, which, I mean, they threw it sideways into the dirt, and it was still running, so it obviously... Which is wild that, like, that did so much damage. I was like, why did they, like... I don't know, going off the track is not the most concerning thing on most tracks, but... Stock oil pickup and lateral Gs. Like, they literally, they yeah. did nothing to prevent oil starvation on these motors and yeah let's just move on but i think that like <laughs> if you're using that to judge subaru wrx's it's really disingenuous because they have said several times throughout the series none of them are really subaru guys they don't have a ton of experience with the platform and like i mentioned before it's way more unique than people give it credit for you need 
to at least reach out to the community and get some info on how to do it right. Because they just fucking at every step didn't do it right. And also they put Tians on high car. Like Tian coilovers are the fucking high option. That's absurd. Are they not? But, I don't know. I th- I just I've looked at the price tag and they're fucking expensive. Like in the super world, no, they're not. They're basically bottom of the barrel. I can't believe they went down from Tians. If I were to write that series, BC Racing or like Club Sports, which they did on I think the Z's, or I mean, so many other options that are. I mean, I have, for B- a super I have I have BCs and I've I've been unhappy with them, although. My partner has said that apparently their newer series is better. And I'm like, mm, okay, I might try it, but... Um, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of it... I think a lot of it has to do with where in the range you buy. Like, That's I don't know. I don't want to be like, you, you got the cheapest ones. Teens. You can get $1,000 TNs, but you can get $2,500 TNs too. Right. And I'm like, yeah. that seems like it's probably pretty good, I would think. But I don't know. I don't. I, I think I, that... I, I can't even I, consider some of those higher higher end coilovers. I'm like, I need the best of the low end. I think if they were to do it honestly and like more accurately, low low end should have been either Tians or Faction Fabs coming from the Subaru world, and high should have been either. I mean, take your pick, Olin's. Club Sports or HKS Hypermaxes, I think are all high, high end, like the twenty five hundred to three thousand dollar range. Yeah, coilovers to put the, especially the model of TNs they put on what's supposed to be the high time attack car is like kind of a slap in the face, honestly. You know, it was probably oh, just whatever attack. they could get for cheap or free from a sponsor. You know. Yeah. To be fair, I think that's probably where I'm not coming from. This from is that they have sponsorship deals and things like that, and like a timeline and things are backed up and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah I think that's just a lot of their decisions are really portraying Subarus in a not necessarily. I don't care that they portray them in a negative negative light any at all. Really, you think what you want about them. It's just inaccurate. They just yeah. they're okay. painting a picture that's just not true, which is what I have a problem with. I straight up have no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck is a Subaru? (laughs) That reminds me, we should do an episode on Malcolm Bricklin in the future. But oh, actually, that reminds me, we we should do an episode on Ralph Nader. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, before we get to that, I I, one thing I forgot about my Subaru is uh, on the data log, I was hitting. 96% 96% duty cycle on the injectors. Ooh. So I got to keep an eye on that. Make sure it doesn't go any higher or just get STI injectors and yeah, retune it. I think, think I've got some. I'll sell you. I, I might buy them from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figure like how much idea. of a pain in the ass it is to change them over. Uh, it's not too bad. Okay. Oh, they're right on top, I think, right? Yeah. I yeah. Were... You just got to pull the rail. Yeah. Aren't it's they like under the manifold, though, or something? No. Okay, never mind. I mean, uh, well, uh, do you have a two-liter? You have yes. a two-liter, right? Mm, I don't know then. If you okay. have side feeds, it might be harder. STIs, yeah. like the 2.5 STIs have top feed. And yeah, they're just straight up right on the top. But I don't know much about the side feed shit. So yeah, if you I'll have side feed, that. it might be weird. I'll, I'll figure it out. I got I to gotta figure out what other parts from your... Uh, what year is your WRX? Uh, 2011. 
Yeah, so I don't know what what if any other parts would fit my 05, but I don't know. We'll figure that out. Bro, they're Lego cars, don't you know? You can just take any part from any other Subaru and put it on any Subaru and it just forks. <laughs> That's what the internet told me. Yeah. But you will immediately blow up your car if you take it to the track for one second. Yeah. So, you know, that's the trade-off. <laughs> like, even if I drive, drive to the track and park it? Yeah. No, you can't even spectate. You can't even spectate, oh, actually. Their Subarus are just so scared of tracks that, yeah, they'll immediately blow up. That's why they're not used in any motorsports. They're definitely not used <laughs> in rally, hill climb, time attack, drift, circuit racing, autocross, uh, okay, road racing. There is one Subaru. There is one Subaru that I know of being used in drift, and it was on the Risky Devil drift team, and that was it. It was rear-wheel drive converted. There's only one. There I might mean, be a couple others, but maybe not. Maybe not professionally, and maybe not in like Formula Drift or whatever. But there are several companies that make a rear-wheel drive convert spool for the STI six-speed, where you can literally just pull it out. Drop the spool in, it makes it a real wheel drive. You just pull your axles out of the front. And yeah, do you not get good angle? No, you get terrible angle. It's built to be all-wheel drive. But, you know, most drift cars are running angle kits anyway. So, you know, you can make it happen. The Z has terrible angle stock, so. But what you need to do is address your oiling issues. (laughs) You're going to introduce lateral Gs, for the love of God, please. (laughs) Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, we should probably start our topic, although maybe take a quick break first. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break, and uh, I'm going to get a snack or something. Sounds good. <laughs> nice. That's fucking Sounds party. like a cold <laughs> snack. <laughs> I do love a Montucky. Cannot lie. Oh, I, I don't. All right, we're back, and while we weren't recording, we had a little conversation about Subarus. Actually, it was just uh, Zach doing, like, a full-blown guy in a truck rant about Subarus. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's accurate, actually. The, the, the tone of your argument sounded like your wife just left you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's, it's upsetting because it's true. I have some strong opinions about child court and uh, Subarus <laughs> that I got to tell you. Uh, yeah, so the uh, the off-air antics have led to me having to jump off uh, pretty soon here. So I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll kind of duck out uh, at some point. But um, I'll say before I go, I'll, I'll, I'll preempt it uh, with my usual spiel. You should rate our co- podcast if you like it. And uh, I don't know, shoot us a message um or an email or something if you've got a fun idea and i don't know follow us on social media so but yeah if you're listening to the show we have a lot of off-air constant talking (laughs) yeah and it it eats into our recording schedule quite a bit yeah Uh, it's not just me i promised like it it takes us four or five hours to record an hour and a half to two hour long podcast (laughs) Yeah. Uh, again, we might consider doing a Patreon for some of this extra nonsense because apparently we just got to get it out. <laughs> we've, we've just got so much content like welling up from our insides <laughs> that we got to get it out. I actually mostly pr- produce disc content. 
<laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I introed this at the beginning of the episode, but you can probably tell from the, the title of this episode that we're talking about uh, Ralph Nader again. And uh, last time we left off, we were around 1970. And uh, I, since then, um, oh, I forgot to mention uh, Poddam America did an episode about Ralph Nader, but I think it was a Patreon episode. Uh, so uh, we're, we're giving you this shit for free and a little bit more in depth. But uh, if you want to pay them some money and get a little bit funnier episode, because, you know, some of them are professional stand-up comedians. I, or maybe all of them are. Anyways, you can go listen to that. Uh, I also did a lot of research by watching a documentary, I think it's from 2006, called An Unreasonable Man about Ralph Nader. And I would recommend that if you're interested in him at all. It's got, you know, the man himself and a lot of the people that he worked with, a lot of his contemporaries, um, a lot of his uh, opponents like Pat Buchanan is uh, interviewed in there. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, documentary. But yeah, so I guess starting off with this movie. Oh, uh, the other thing is um, uh, Anders Lee from uh, Pod Damn America. He wrote a short story that's like a uh, alternate history fiction sort of thing of like what America would look like if Ralph Nader had become president. It's on like on a sub stack. And I think, yeah, I got to pay money to read it. So I haven't done that yet, but um, I don't know if you want to give them even more money, you can read that. But yeah, so this movie, an unreasonable man, um, the title comes from a quote by uh, George Bernard Shaw. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And uh, I would like to think that uh, all of us here today are unreasonable in that regard. I don't know. What do you all think? Absolutely. All right. Uh, No one has ever accused me of being reasonable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Loud, obnoxious, sure. Reasonable, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I've been called many things in my life. Reasonable was not on the list. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this movie's off to a good start. Uh, it shows up. It was produced by the Weinstein Company. So, hey, great. you know, nice. I see no problems here. And, um, you know, one thing that I, that I missed in my research that the movie brought up is um, one of... Uh, Ralph's classmates at Harvard Law uh, named Frank Condon was in a a rollover accident in the 1950s and was paralyzed because of that. And uh, that was also a big factor in uh, motivation to investigate car safety. Hmm. And, you know, he and sort of the Nader's Raiders, the groups that he was involved with, in the 1960s and the 70s, he kind of saw them as like a respectable, like legal in the system alternative to the counterculture and the more in the streets activism. Uh, so he's like, you know, I'll, I'll take the the establishment route and you all can do the, the more countercultural route and we'll try to work together to further our goals here. Um, which, I, I mean, I can see... I yeah, I, I can yeah. respect that for sure. And then, uh, 
This might be a little bit later. I forget when uh, George McGovern ran for office, but uh, Nader was uh, tapped as a possible running mate for him uh, and refused. <laughs> uh, that seems like it was a good choice because uh, McGovern got his ass whooped. He yeah, lost to Reagan, I think, I think, right? Yeah, I think he I think he won like one state or something like that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, I like I like Ralph, but uh, I don't I don't think he would have changed that. In fact, he probably would have harmed it. To be honest, <laughs> maybe. I mean, who knows? I mean, he was a very popular figure, maybe a controversial figure, but definitely like people knew who he was and respected him in this time period in the late sixties, seventies, uh, into the eighties. Huh. So maybe he he should have run for president at that time instead of when he did run later. When... Right. Exactly. Hmm. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, a lot of people were telling him he should run for president. One thing that I missed also is that he did a an interview with Playboy in 1968, which Classic. I have not I have not been able to find that interview, but I would like to. I I almost uh, clicked uh, you know buy a, an issue of Playboy on eBay last night. Um, people but, were always uh, saying how they read it for the articles. Yeah, <laughs> I was say, you really. Did get it for the articles. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this would be the, the one time where that's actually a, a legitimate answer. And I don't know. I, I feel like maybe that shouldn't be wasted. Yeah. No, man. Dude, fucking everybody reads Playboy for the articles. <laughs> the rest of it, they Do jerk they off to. exist? Are they around <laughs> still? I don't... Yeah, I are they still a... sending people, like, physical magazines in the mail? I don't think so. That one guy's dead, right? Yeah. Hugh Hefner? Yeah. Yeah, all right, good riddance. <laughs> no I mean, for, for, me. for all of his behavior, uh, I've never, I don't know if I've ever heard any, like, accusations against him or anything. I've... I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there are accusations against oh, him. Oh, are there? I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, you know, sorry to the Hugh Hefner estate if I'm, if I'm incorrect, but, uh, you know, fuck that guy. I'm pretty sure he, he definitely had some, he's got some skeletons in his closet, let's just say that. You don't yeah. wear a robe everywhere if you don't have skeletons in your closet. See, I was thinking you only wear a robe everywhere if you don't have skeletons in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> People with something to hide aren't that fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so in uh, 1971, he was offered the opportunity to run as a presidential candidate uh, for something called the New Party. Which was sort of a progressive. Uh, was it a new party at the time? It, it was a new party. Yep, it was split off from the mm, Democratic okay. Party. The uh, the author Gore Vidal uh, was uh, possibly running for president, and also tried to get uh, Nader to run for president, and uh, of course he declined. Uh, I think it was Ooh, around this time he hadn't. said, "Yeah, I think it was around this time he said I will never run for president," um, which. Uh, he went back on, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, probably would have been better if he'd run then on a different yeah. party. In fact, wow, history could be so different if there was a third party that create was created at that point in time. Holy yep. shit! And Ralph was actually named mentioned by name in the infamous Powell memo. Um, and if you haven't heard about that, it was uh, someone nice. from the Chamber of Commerce basically talking about all the enemies of. Uh, American big business, um, including democracy. 
Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the it, problem of too much democracy well, wasn't wasn't it called the crisis of democracy or something? Something like that. I didn't read the whole thing, uh, but this is the passage about Ralph. It says uh, perhaps the single most effective antagonist of American business is Ralph Nader, who, thanks largely to the media, has become a legend in his own time and an idol to millions of Americans. So I God damn I, it! Now that I know he's in that memo, uh, yeah, I wish Ralph had run at that point in time. Yeah, <laughs> God damn it! In 1972, he published another bestseller book called "Who Runs Congress" uh, with Mark Green and James Fallows and uh, David Zwick, and uh, that led to the creation of the Public Citizens Congress Watch, uh, which was run first by Claybook and Claybrook. And then by Green, so some of the people that he had worked with previously, uh, Claybrook was the person who he had rumored to have dated. Uh, but that, as far as I know, uh, the only person repeating that rumor is uh, Anders Lee. So I'm not sure. I couldn't find any corroboration of that. So he also formed in 1974 the Critical Mass Energy Project, which was an anti-nuclear uh, group. They were petitioning i think to close a plant in massachusetts which is why it was called critical mass sort of a pun uh, <laughs> it's kind of good i give it down that's all right yeah but they had uh they had hundred hundreds of local affiliates uh nationwide and around two hundred thousand supporters and around the same time there was a uh worker at a nuclear plant uh whistleblower named karen silkwood who died in a car accident and there was some sort of speculation that maybe she had been killed by her bosses, but I couldn't find any more information about her specifically. And I I think I've mentioned on this podcast, I'm broadly pro nuclear energy. I think it's, you know, when done properly, it's, it's safe and, and uh, effective, but it does have its issues and uh, I'm not pretending otherwise, but that's a, Maybe that's another podcast entirely. Oh, that seems fair. I'm generally pro nuclear. It seems better. Yeah. I mean, it seems better than burning coal for fuck's sake. Um, yeah, and gen- generally uninformed. <clears throat> Fun fact: coal actually releases more nuclear radiation than nuclear energy. Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah I think um, you know I I actually did watch a um, documentary on like um massive meltdown at three mile island which is one of the reasons we don't have more nuclear in the united states like after whatever in the 1970s i think they stopped building nuclear plants so like that was like we have not had a nuclear plant in like 50 years but if you watch like what was going on it wasn't a problem with nuclear energy it was a problem with capitalist fucking businesses being involved and it was just like they were just being fucking cheap and it's like I mean, which, yes, obviously the answer to that is, well, let's get rid of capitalism. But even shy of that, like, basic regulations could provide, like, the safety net we need for for nuclear energy. Like, you know, yeah. just saying. I'm, well, so I'm generally pro-nuclear energy. but and, and to be fair, the Soviet Union doesn't have the greatest record in uh, yeah. nuclear energy safety. But I will say that that is mostly because they were trying to create reactors that would at the same time create nuclear energy and also make uh, fuel or excuse me, enriched 
uh, material for bombs. So you, they were kind of a compromise uh, and didn't work mm. great for either one. Or it might have been because they were, they didn't get uh, like certain materials like heavy water from Canada. I think Canada is the the biggest producer of heavy water and they couldn't import it to the Soviet Union or something. I don't know. There's uh, multiple factors. Um, if if you want to know more about this, I would recommend the book Atomic Accidents by um, James uh, Mahaffey, I think is his name. He's the author that I, I used a lot of his stuff for one of our early episodes on nuclear-powered vehicles. He, uh, he worked in the nuclear industry, and he's got a lot of good information on that. Um, but uh, where was I? I think I think I talked the guy I'm getting the intake from into a trade, so I might just get a new intake for nothing tomorrow. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. What's the trade? Yeah. A different intake. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a small block Oldsmobile intake years ago on accident, thinking it was a big block. And I was just like, hey, you wouldn't have any interest in this. And he was like, only if it's this specific thing. And I'm like, fuck, I can't remember what it is, but it does look like that. <laughs> nice yeah what a what a possible stroke of luck there yeah especially like so it, I, I would basically be trading the intake that i was buying thinking it was something else for the thing that i thought it was and then this guy would get a <laughs> thing he wants it's, it's it's a win-win nice nice well i guess on that note i do have to uh i do have to head out but uh it was fun yeah always is so, yeah, till next sure. time folks Good talking to you. Yep. Adios. All right. Take care. All right. So now that Connor's gone, we can actually, uh... yeah, I'm not actually gone. Uh, Do I I need to do anything before I leave (laughs) (laughs) to to save this and not lose all of it? I I don't know if you can, uh, like leave the computer on and open. I can do that. Yeah. Um, if not just, yeah. Okay. I'll just leave it open. Okay, cool. All right, I'm making my exit now. Adios. Thanks for listening, <laughs> folks. <laughs> All right. Um, we should so... leave that in and let everyone know how bad we are at what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Keep, keep expectations exactly where they should be. If, if I wanted to show the listeners like how, just how terrible we are, <laughs> I could uh, I could have done that a lot sooner. Um, so... Uh, through all the different organizations and uh, foundations and whatever that Ralph Nader was a part of and through the different people he was working with, the interns, whatever, different employees, he is at least partly responsible for a whole lot of uh, legislation that protected, um, you know, safety and consumers. And uh, um, I'll, I'll just list a bunch of the different things here. Uh, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the Pure Food and Drug Act, the Clean Air Act, the Freedom of Information Act. Um, Wait, are then, you responsible for the Freedom of Information Act? Uh, at least partially, yes. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, and then also the foundation of agencies like OSHA, uh, the EPA, and the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Can I go on a quick side tangent about OSHA? Oh, yes, please. 
I appreciate that OSHA exists and everything like that. I'm not trying to be anti-OSHA or anything. We did a job one time in their offices. Um, I actually wasn't on the job. It was before my time, but I have talked to many people who worked on that job and described it as the most unsafe job site they have <laughs> ever been on in their lives. So, yeah, get your shit together, OSHA. That's not, not cool. Yeah, and uh, spoiler alert, a lot of this stuff gets undone by, like, Reagan and Trump and Bush. So, uh, yeah, like, regulation is only as good as uh, the government enforcing it. I guess that's, I don't know. Um, so, Ralph had high hopes for the Carter presidency, but was disappointed in a lot of ways. Um, part of it was he was angry at a lot of his uh, employees for jumping ship and going to work for the Carter administration while he was left, you know, outside, especially uh, Claybrook, John Claybrook, who I mentioned earlier, left to, uh, to head the NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. And Ralph was very critical of her and would like show up to press conferences and, and tell her that, uh, she was like dragging her feet and like not enacting legislation quick enough. So like he was, he told her, uh, you're carrying the weight of consumer protection into your job. And if you don't uphold that reputation, I'll criticize you publicly. So he criticized her on, on being slow to implement, um, uh, airbag legislation and also on the recall of the Pinto in 1978. Which, I mean, I can understand, like he was saying, look, people are dying now. You really have to do something now to, to uh, get this done. And she was a little bit more pragmatic and was like, look, we're working with the manufacturers. We're working with Ford. We're trying to do a solution. We're testing things out. We're sending out letters. You know, this all takes time. And he's like, no, come on. People are dying. Yeah, I mean, in the meantime, Ford still producing and selling pintos and making money. Right. I, I would exactly. assume, uh, you know, maybe not hand over fist, but making a lot of money on the pinto and all these other manufacturers are obviously selling cars without airbags. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, we're working with them to work out a solution. It's like, okay. I mean, from the other perspective of that is like, yeah, but they're still making money on cars that are killing people. So maybe you don't work so kindly with them. Yeah. And I don't know, like, what the politics were like in that time period between, like, Ford and the NHTSA, but maybe they were trying to be, like, a little bit, I don't know, friendly to Ford or something. I get that impression to try and not to piss him off or something. But who knows? That's really what you want out of your government regulation is for them <laughs> yeah. to not want to piss off the people that they're regulating. It's so right. They give them tons of leeway. Yeah. Well, I mean, like yeah. they give them lots of money, so you can't piss them off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you not know how politics works? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's literally yeah. all money. <laughs> no. And, and there's more of that coming up later, uh, as we'll see. Um, and... In uh, January of 1977, Ralph was the host of Saturday Night Live, 
and according to his friends, uh, he's a terrible actor because he's authentic. But uh, people seem to like it. Um, he was, you know, a big enough hit that like he was recognized on the street. Someone was like, hey, you're that comedian, aren't you? <laughs> they thought he was just doing really deadpan delivery or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, is workplace safety a joke to you? <laughs> I'm like, ah, Ralph got it again. I got did it again. He he does seem like a pretty he got, he comes across as a pretty funny, charming guy, but he is kind of a nerd also. So I can I can identify with him a little bit in that regard. He also did cameos on SNL in 1980, 1990, and 2000. Jesus. So wow. that's that's four appearances? Yeah. That Respect. Go, go Nader. <laughs> Actually, I don't know why I'm saying that for. That show sucks. <laughs> yeah, SNL's not like really rad and cool. Kind of I, I'm mostly just thinking like good for him for like even like, I don't know, like go, going into the spotlight like that, man. That's um. Yeah. I, uh, oh, let's see, where was I? Um, so in 1978, he was pushing for legislation that would establish a agency for consumer protection. Uh, this is kind of like the, what was later established. The thing was like the consumer financial protection agency that Liz Warren was head of for a while, but it would have been a little bit more broad in scope and, you know, dealt with safety and, um, health and that sort of thing. And it was going forward, but then it was killed by Pat Buchanan and a lot of the early sort of, uh, Precursors to the Reagan Republicans in 1978. Got shot with the Pat uh, Buchanan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, in the in the documentary, there's a little view into his office at the Center for for Responsive Law in D.C. Uh, that he was running around this time. It's a little bit of a hoarder nest. He's got like piles of boxes and books and papers and whatnot. And, you know, he says, oh, I know where everything is. I can find anything in this pile. Um, Sounds like my garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so people would just, like, send him letters, uh, like, can you help me with this issue? And they would also sometimes, like, send him defective products, like, hey, this this is fucked up. Can you, like, do something about this? Someone once sent him a broken drive shaft from a car. Which I imagine the shipping on that was pretty expensive. And then also someone once sent them uh, a human lung. Someone had their lung removed for like lung cancer and is like, look at this fucked up shit. Do something about this. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that yeah. might be an OSHA violation. <laughs> <laughs> they did say it was like packed in dry ice. So at least it wasn't, you know, stinky. That wasn't my primary concern. <laughs> yeah, that's not better. That's not better at all. <laughs> yeah. So this this movie, uh, I think I said it was from 2006 or so. It, it talks a lot about uh, how Reagan was tearing down all these regulations and he was appointing people to the heads of uh, of agencies that had been like working to working against regulations in that industry. And it reminded me a lot of uh, Donald Trump and his appointments like what's his name? Uh, LaJoy to the post office and uh, 
DeVos to education, you know, all these people that had been working to privatize all these industries previously. So, yeah, it, it this documentary really drives home just how evil uh, Reagan was. Let's see. Uh, again, in 1970, or excuse me, in uh, 1980, the uh, Progressive Citizens Party asked Nader to run for president. And he declined. And this is when he said, I will never run for president. And he did a little bit more like grassroots work in the 80s. He was like going into towns and, and areas where there was an issue and trying to solve it. One example of that is uh, the GM factory in Van Nuys, California, which I think is one of the ones that built um, the Corvair. They had benzene from paint that was leaking into drinking water and causing leukemia and other cancers in the area. And I couldn't find a whole lot more about this other than what was in the movie. I did find some articles that were talking about like airborne pollution from the plant. And um, <laughs> GM said, uh, oh, we're releasing this many tons of pollution. And then they walked it back and they're like, oh, actually, no, it's only this much because um, the the people that we had researching this, they, uh, you know, did the data for 18 months instead of 12 months. So our estimates were off. So actually, we're doing a lot better than we thought we were. We're not giving people a cancer at as high a rate as we initially thought. Someone yeah. give us a pat on the back quickly, please. <laughs> oh, I hate it. Yeah. Uh, that plant was shut down and torn down and turned into a mall later on. Um, so I don't know if that counts for a victory, but. So uh, Nader campaigned for uh, Mondale in 84. Uh, he was trying to highlight the difference between uh, Mondale and Reagan. And uh, that didn't work out. Um, you know, uh, Reagan won that one. In 1986, uh, Ralph's older brother, Shafiq, died of prostate cancer. And due to the grief from this, uh, Ralph developed Bell's palsy, which paralyzed the left side of his mouth for several months and caused his eye to droop, which uh, he still has that uh, to this day, if you've seen a, a picture of him. He joked about his uh, facial paralysis and said, and said, uh, at least my opponents can't say I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. That's... Yeah. I only talk out of the front of my mouth. <laughs> In 1988, uh, he helped the passage of uh, California Proposition 103, which um, regulated insurance companies, and it resulted in a drop in premiums by 20%. And uh, basically, the the insurance companies had to get approval from California state legislatures before they could raise rates again which I don't know if any uh, listeners from California can write in and say, yeah, my insurance is cheap as hell. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, still still in effect or, or what's going on with that. I feel like everything in California is expensive. I would be surprised if the insurance wasn't. Yeah, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my impression. Yeah, I feel like the most likely thing that happened was that they just got the state legislatures to be like, yeah, it's fine, raise the rates. 
Yeah. You know, maybe not immediately, but I'm sure over time, any of that work has just been undone. Yeah. But he did save some people some money on car insurance. So he did better than that gecko, at least. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, the gecko did that for me too. So, you know, what's <laughs> Ralph really done for me? <laughs> Um, also in 1988, he went on Sesame Street as part of a PBS telethon to raise money. And they were going to have him sing a song called The People in Your Neighborhood. But he in- he insisted on changing the lyrics from the people that you meet to the more grammatically correct, the people whom you meet. Nerds. Because, yes, exactly. Yeah. The more I hear about this guy, like... He kind of seems like a frustrating person, to be quite honest. <laughs> I understand that his heart was in the right place. Like, he did some good things, but God damn, he seemed like a pain <laughs> in the ass. Yeah. A little bit. Um, but He's, he seems a little on the spectrum at times. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think he is the only person that I know of who has been on Sesame Street, uh, SNL, and Playboy. I can't think of any other ones. I mean, I don't really none like come to mind, but I, yeah. yeah, I don't keep track of that kind of thing. I, I, I keep an extensive uh, mental footnotes for uh, you know Playboy and Sesame Street, but uh, <laughs> you know I can't really cross reference it with Saturday Night Live. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, listeners, write in if you're a, a big fan of all three. Um, <laughs> Don't write into us if you're a big Actually, fan of all three. That's, you need to talk to somebody. If you're a big fan of all three, write into your therapist. Yeah. So around this time is when he started getting disillusioned with the Democrats and the whole lesser evil sort of thing. And then in 1992, he did a, um, a brief write-in campaign in the primaries in New Hampshire and uh, Massachusetts, basically saying, hey, look, if you're tired of, you know, business as usual, you're tired of picking the lesser of two evils, uh, you know, pick me instead of saying none of the above. And I don't think he got very many votes for that. But that was sort of his first, you know, dipping his toe into the waters of uh, running for office. And then in 1996, he, it says he was haphazardly drafted by the Green Party to run for president. Um, so it it was this weird situation where the national green party did not nominate him, but numerous state level parties did. So I don't know what that says about the organization of the green party in the nineties. And this meant that he had different running mates in different States. He also only raised $5,000 for his own campaign, but still did better than a lot of people thought he would. And during this campaign, he was quoted as as saying, uh, we don't really have government, uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people. We have government of the Exxons, by the General Motors, and for the DuPonts. Which, yeah, yeah that actually good. goes pretty hard. That's a yeah. that's a sick quote. Yeah, that's good. And and also very fucking accurate. Yeah, yeah, completely true. So this was the <clears throat> this was the time period of the third way Democrats, uh, Clinton and Gore, and um, you know basically they were trying to raise money by appealing to corporate America more so than like trade unions, you know, great strategy for, you know, representing people. Um, And, uh, you know, Ralph would petition Clinton and Gore to 
you know, enact this or that legislation or, and was just totally ignored by, uh, by their uh, presidency and, you know, became even more disillusioned with uh, the Democratic Party. And then we get to 2000, his first big run for president, which some of you might uh, remember from back then. He was running, you know, officially for the Green Party now and um, was actually campaigning around the country in all 50 states. His big issues were campaign finance reform, uh, combating corporate influence and uh, breaking what he portrayed as a collusion between the two major parties on most policy issues. Uh, he got about 3 million votes, just under 3 million votes, or about 2.74% um, of the popular vote. He, As part of the campaign, they made a, a parody of the MasterCard Priceless campaign. I don't know if you all remember that. I remember the MasterCard campaign, not necessarily their parody of it. Yeah, he was, he was like, um, you know, like, so he was poking fun at all the other campaigns that were like doing these big, like, you know, thousand dollar a plate um, fundraisers. You know, it's like, you know, buying influence for the Democratic Party, a thousand dollars a plate or whatever. And then, you know, he had his face and it's like, you know, a, a candidate without uh, corporate influence, priceless. And so MasterCard sued him for five million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, this caused a bit of a Streisand effect because, like, it was all over the news. And then Nader won uh, that lawsuit. Um, probably because he's, like, a Harvard-educated lawyer and also, like, most of the people on his team are lawyers. So so the goal of this campaign was to get uh, 5% of the popular vote. And then this would get them on uh, the ballot in all 50 states. Uh, at least that's my understanding. Uh, and then also uh, get the Green Party into future debates. There were, you know, we we mentioned uh, Nader's Raiders, the, the group that he had founded uh, of mostly um, like interns from law school that were fighting on all these different issues. So he had a, a bunch of former, I guess, alums of that that organization that were in, you know, relatively prominent um, jobs as lawyers. And some of them drafted a public letter, an open letter, uh, and they called themselves Nader's Raiders for Gore. And they tried to shame Nader into dropping out to stop the spoiler vote effect. Oh, wow. So this is a phenomenon that goes back like pretty fucking far of like, no, oh, don't yeah. vote third party. It, it's all the same arguments. Um, and they're all bullshit. <laughs> and I'll, I'll go into a little bit detail, but like, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Teresa Amato, who was his uh, campaign manager at the time, she does a good job of breaking down why they're all bullshit in the documentary. But uh, let's see. So they started, one of the things that they sort of invented was like political rallies like before Bernie or Trump was doing like sold out shows in stadiums and stuff, Ralph Nader started in uh, the Portland Coliseum and 10,000 people paid to go see him speak. And then they followed that up with sold out shows at Madison Square Garden in New York City and uh, other venues across the country. 
So I forget exactly how many people Madison Square Garden holds, but uh, I think a hundred million. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so about a more than a third of Americans at the time were were at that venue. <laughs> um, so they didn't really get a lot of good media coverage uh, for this campaign, even though they were selling out these venues. Uh, the New York Times covered it on page sixteen. And uh, he was also frozen out of the debates. Uh, there was this big campaign like, you know, let Ralph debate, um, you know, much like you saw with uh, like Mike Gravel in 2020. A, the, the debates were happening, I, I think, at Harvard and a student there uh, gave his ticket to Ralph. He's like, hey, here you can at least attend the debate and, you know, m- you know, at least get in the media that way. But the organizers basically told him, get the fuck out of here. You're not allowed. And so Ralph uh, went and sued the Commission on Debates. And in the discovery part of that lawsuit, found out that they had uh, ordered the local police to exclude all third party candidates. And they printed up like a like like a wanted poster, like with all the faces and names of all the different third party candidates. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So they were like, I thought that this was sort of like an institutional level sort of exclusion of third party candidates. I didn't realize that it was like kind of a a militant, like they're letting the police know who these people are. They're refusing entrance. Like, oh, yeah, that's okay. They point out in the movie that the commission for debates or presidential debates, whatever it's called, is run by like former Republican and Democrat officials uh, who are now lobbyists. So like it is just, you know, DC machine politics at its core. Like they're not going to let anyone else in from a third party. Like I said, there was all these people blaming him for spoiling the vote for Gore, even though I, most of that was just like the Gore campaign allowed the whole like Brooks brother riot thing to happen they didn't, you know, push for a recount um, in time. There were, like, I think Ralph was the biggest third-party candidate in Florida, um, but still, like, you know, there were other third parties. Like, the Libertarian Party was running. Pat Buchanan was running for whatever crazy party he was part of. Um, you know, all this, all these other parties were running, and none of them were blamed for spoiling the vote, you know. If it's yeah, one thing you can uh, you can count on the Democrats to do, it's punch left. Yes, exactly. And uh, that was another thing they pointed out is like um, there is lots of like Democrats who voted for Bush and Republicans who voted for Gore for Gore uh, that were you know like registered for one party and voted for the other. It's like you know you can't just say like someone deserves your vote or whatever uh, and i don't know i've had this argument with plenty of uh liberals oh, I, I think the democratic party would absolutely argue that they just deserve your vote yeah no and they do um <laughs> they do deserve your vote or they do argue that oh, no they, they do argue that excuse me <laughs> okay. no no they don't deserve fuck all fuck them uh, it, sounded, it sounded like the other thing so good clarification yeah sorry yeah i just wanted to make sure yeah <laughs> So by by Nader's own polling, if he hadn't run, uh, around twenty five percent of his supporters would have voted for Bush, 
38% for Gore, and the rest would not have voted at all. So he was really picking up people that were going to stay home and not vote for either of these uh, major parties. Again, more more arguments on his side. In 2002, he went to Cuba for another interview with Fidel Castro. Damn. Yeah, and um, uh, he was trying to get uh, more dialogue between America and Cuba about uh, socialism and capitalism and try to get uh, more trade uh, between them, uh, like an exchange of American technology for Cuban doctors, uh, for example. Cuba and Castro were all for this, uh, but of course the Bush administration uh, killed that idea. Yeah, I mean, like I, I always knew uh, one of the facts that I learned that led me towards communism years ago was that Castro offered up a bunch of doctors after I think it was Katrina or I don't know, one, uh, some, some like tragic event in America that killed a bunch of people and wounded a bunch of others. Castro offered to send doctors and Bush was basically like, go fuck yourself, commie. Right. Yeah, I think they've done that a few times for different disasters in America all over the world um, and like regardless of their relationship with the country they will send doctors in an emergency yep um what was that my printers going for some reason <laughs> i'm not printing anything i'm sorry <laughs> i thought someone okay. was trying to get into the room that is not locked but no the printer is yeah, I'll just mute me for a little bit. Sorry. About okay. That. okay. I'll get back on when it's done. <laughs> um, so in 2004, he was uh, looking to run again. This hasn't been corroborated, but he says that the DNC offered to donate millions of dollars to his, uh, you know, advocacy organizations uh, to tell him not to run. They're like, "Hey, look, we'll take care of your budget. Just don't run for president, please. Don't do that again." And he uh, he's like, OK, well, how about then I send John Kerry a bunch of my ideas and he can use them for his campaign. So he sent Kerry 25 pages of uh, issues that he was thinking about running on in 2004. And Kerry's like, well, that's too much. And then he's like, OK, how about three things, three things that, you know, we can agree on are important issues that you need to, you know, center your campaign around. And those were ending corporate welfare, fighting corporate crime, and reforming labor law. Uh, and then instead, John Kerry just ignored him. And then the DNC tried to get him off the ballots in states. So he was basically frozen out completely from the Democratic Party by this point. Yeah, they don't like competition. <laughs> no. So he didn't do as well in 2004. Uh, he got 450,000 votes, around 0.38% of uh, the popular vote. He did run again in 2008 as an independent, did a little bit better this time, uh, around uh, 738,000 votes, or about 0.56% of the vote. Um, and that's you know the last run for president that he did. So since then, in 2015, he opened the Museum of Tort Law in his hometown of Winston, Connecticut. Um, this is basically, it's got exhibits on like the Pinto, 
the McDonald's hot coffee incident and stuff, uh, different like important lawsuits that established case law in America. It also looks like the most boring uh, museum that I could imagine going to, but um, man, I fucking love boring museums. (laughs) (laughs) They do have a gift shop. You can buy, uh, you know, a coffee mug that talks about McDonald's hot coffee injuring people. No, man, like generally like... things that I think people find boring often have like a really in- like if you pick a, a product or something generic like that seems really boring. There's probably an interesting process behind the manufacturing of it. Yeah, maybe I'm uh, not giving it enough credit. And uh... I, I mean, you might be right. I'm just saying in general, like I I'm willing to check shit like that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, maybe if I, I mean, just looking at the photos on their website, it looks a little bit uh, boring. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, if, if I'm ever in Connecticut, I will probably go go there. Um, Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, since all of this, uh, you know, Ralph entered his uh, crotchety old man yelling at people phase. Get which off my I'm, lawn. <laughs> I am all for it. So during the 2016 presidential election, Nader condemned Hillary Clinton for winning the Democratic nomination by dictatorship in reference to accusations that she colluded with party officials to marginalize Bernie Sanders, which, yeah, true. Um, In 2020, Nader tweeted about Clinton, referring to her as the butcher of Libya and neighbors, backer of the criminal Iraq war slaughter and lucrative toady of Wall Street. Say what you will about Nader. He's got some fire-ass quotes. Like, yeah. He can really string a sentence together. Yeah. And and I will say, like, his uh, podcast, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, I think is what it's called, is worth listening to. Um, you know, like, I think I said, he, he goes off on Elon Musk and Tesla. You know, he'll, he'll go off on anyone that is, he, he thinks, cheating people or... or um, being uh shady or whatever and then uh connor sent me um uh he was on the intercept podcast in 2017 talking about uh the campaign or no i think he was talking about the trump presidency then and i think this this is where that quote comes from he called the republican party radically extremist cruel vicious and militarist so He's not just, uh, you know, punching at the Democratic Party. Um, He also called Trump a purveyor of corporate state fascism. I mean, I do feel like that's true. I I feel like it leaves something to be desired when also all of the other presidents are also that. Yeah, yeah. And he's also written a few books, uh, like, about Trump and about politics lately that I haven't read. I don't know. It might be worth picking up if, if that's your thing. So sorry to end on a sad note here, but in 2019, uh, Nader's uh, grandniece, uh, Samia Stumo, was uh, among the 157 people killed in the crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. Uh, this is one of the Boeing 737 MAX airliners that... Uh, Basically, where they they sold a, a fucked up version of the avionics equipment to third world airlines, uh, basically, you know, 
if if you didn't want to pay, you didn't get the full like uh like what do you call it um collision avoidance system or something like that. Uh, we might go into that in more in depth in a in a future episode. I haven't really looked into it too much, but uh yeah, it doesn't look good for doesn't make Boeing look like a responsible company, let's say. But yeah, that's all I have on uh, Ralph Nader. He is uh, 88 years old as of uh, recording and still alive, still podcasting, still tweeting and uh, still fighting the good fight. And uh, I 88 did... years old, huh? Suspicious <laughs> number. What made him choose that? <laughs> <laughs> what is Ralph Nader hiding from us? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I would uh, encourage the listeners to go out and get uh, the documentary on Unreasonable Man from your library like I did, or uh, go pick up a copy of uh, Unsafe at Any Speed from the library like I did, or um, listen to his podcast. He's a cool guy, and uh, like I said, probably the best I could hope a liberal to be in this world. Also pick up my new book, Unsafe on Any Speed. (laughs) <laughs> is that about stimulants or that that was the joke i obviously i didn't write a whole book about it <laughs> too busy I mean, cleaning do some house. speed yeah do some speed and you might think that you wrote a book on it <laughs> i actually don't do uppers they just they do not jive well with my mental health issues i was gonna yeah. say that's probably for the best yeah, yeah same that doesn't seem like a good idea but i still felt like unsafe on any speed was like just on the on the cusp of being a good joke, so I would give it a try. It's worth a shot. I think. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your effort. That's what counts, really. Life is effort, and I'll quit when I die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, any last thoughts on uh, Ralph Nader? Um, it's it's been a little bit of a, a long journey here. Yeah, but... I can't say I agree with everything that I've I've learned about him, but I think. I do agree with your statement that he's the best that you can hope for from a liberal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, yeah, you couldn't put it any better or more succinctly. Like, and also, like, I, I, I'm being a detractor. He did unequivocally good things. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. I, I'm so used to just, like, looking for the worst thing that a person did. But, like, yeah, no, he, he, he did good things. I don't agree with everything step by step. But, like, you know, I'll give him credit for being a, a guy who cared about uh, people and wanting to improve the world you know a lot of people fall into the trap of uh bourgeois electoralism so yeah i'll try yeah. not to decry him too much for that yeah and i did uh send a, a request for an interview through his website so we'll see if that happens but i don't have high hopes that he'll actually see that but oh no i, I hope it doesn't i called him a pain in the ass like just a few minutes ago. <laughs> if you if you hear this, Ralph, I'm sorry. I, you should still two, come on. Release two versions of this episode. One where there are no insults for against Ralph Nader, and just label it the for Ralph Nader version. <laughs> and then the don't listen to this Ralph Nader, please <laughs> version. <laughs> All Ralph Naders are banned from listening to this version. <laughs> Can we actually name this episode? Don't listen to this, Ralph Nader, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was good. Yeah. All right. So uh, 
I'm not sure exactly what we'll have uh, coming up next. Like I said, we might have a little hiatus here, but we'll uh, we'll come back with something. Still got to research a couple couple leads and uh, see what we come up with. Maybe we'll do some some more like freeform discussion stuff. Uh, maybe maybe some, uh, listeners maybe some tanky uh, write in. Stuff. Yeah, maybe some tanky stuff. Maybe like some listener suggestions. Maybe some yeah. Subaru rants. Yeah. Definitely. Or we're just going to release rants. a series of two hour long episodes of Zach inside his truck with Oakley's on. <laughs> I mean, that's a deep well. We could mine a lot of content from that. You can use knockoff Subarus or uh, not, not, not <laughs> knockoff Oakley's too. Yeah. What is a knockoff Subaru? I wonder. A Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you might have done the flat engine first, but Subaru did it better. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to do some introspection. I yeah, I, I wish I could afford a Porsche, but until uh, until this Patreon really pops off and we're making that that sweet leftist grifter money, I, I can't do that. So uh, yes, yeah. If I think by our like you know, current listener numbers, like if every <laughs> listener sends us like a thousand dollars, you know, maybe Zach can afford a, a Porsche. So. And really that's what it's all about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it worked for uh, what's his name? Hassan. So. Yeah. Wait, does right. he have a Porsche? Yeah. Every well, time let's get him on. Every it's time I hear somebody about talk about like leftist grifters, I'm just like, do you understand how hard it is to be a grifter on the left? <laughs> We're trying. So We're hard. all poor. <laughs> all you motherfuckers are poor as hell. This is ridiculous. This show costs us money. <laughs> uh, costs me just, sanity and time. Maybe we're just bad at grifting. I mean, I think oh, Connor's right, the because he's good at drifting. <laughs> <laughs> so if we yeah. can fix Connor's typo, I think we'll be good. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're definitely not good at it, so I don't know if right, that means well, we're necessarily bad if we're not This trying. was really on the rails until we tried to end the episode. Yeah, that's I usually how it gonna, goes. I think I'm Whatever. just going to stop it here, and we'll, we'll, we'll fix it in post. All just right, cold well, close. Do, do, do all the things. Uh, check out our social media. Follow Cars and Comrades everywhere that you follow things. And uh, everybody have... A, you know, good, good life, good night, good day. I don't know. Where, wherever you're at, just, I don't know, have fun. Do a burnout. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. it. That's my, that's my new closing. Is have fun, do a burnout. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. We gonna make you pay five to five, bitch. We make you pay five to water, bitch. We gonna fight riches and not riches, but we gonna fight the solidarity. We said we not gonna fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we gonna fight the socialism. Amazingly, or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemispheres. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. The free market mythology, it argues, that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers, applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation, 
will produce the best results for all of us. Through something called the invisible hand. <laughs> what are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.